Welcome to the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. We highlight keen investment insights and strategies so you can become a real estate mogul. Here's your host, Yannick Kujo Virgil. All right, welcome back to the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Yannick Kujo Virgil, and I'm super excited for our guest today. I think we have a really good one today. Our guest today is Larry English. Larry is the CEO of Union Property Company, a purpose-driven real estate investment firm characterized by 30 plus years of experience amongst firm leadership, where he leads the strategic vision of the organization. Larry is a former NFL player, first round pick for the San Diego Chargers, and has now been involved in development projects that has eclipsed well over $80 million. Larry is also an active member of the Urban Land Institute Los Angeles chapter and currently resides in L.A. Larry, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited about this. This should be fun today. No, no, no. So, I was, you know, before we got on, you know, I touched on like I was a big Chargers fan back in the day. And like, you know, I remember when you got drafted and I was like so excited because I was like, man, I'm gonna play for the Chargers one day. And mm-hmm. and I, man, the Chargers, that was my team. So why don't you give the, the listeners a quick background story of like who you are and how do you get to where you are today? Yeah, I would say that relative to background. So like my background, I'm originally from the Midwest. I grew up in a uh, a working class suburb outside Chicago, a city called Aurora. And the one thing that I could say that the way in which I was really, really blessed was, you know, having an incredible support system around mm-hmm. me from really early on in both my mother and then, and then my grandparents. So they really instilled this supreme level of faith and belief in what was possible and what I was capable of. And so that was something that was always instilled in me from a young age. And from very, very early on, I was, I was fascinated with the sport of football and it was all I ever wanted to do from a really, really young age. So I, I got really focused in on it early on. And I can tell you that my focus and overarching goal of becoming a professional football player, it governed a lot of decision making in my life in in my early years. So I was really willing to be disciplined and like make sacrifices for the things that I thought that would allow me to realize my goals. Right. And I kind of had like Mm -hmm. these tranches of the overarching goal, but like the first tranche was like getting into a football program at the high school level, going to a high school that was going to be a program that I thought that I would get, you know, access to opportunities and have an opportunity for a division one program to notice me. Right. And so mm-hmm. part of that was getting into a private school and any extra money that my mother was making at the time, she was mm-hmm. willing to invest that in me and getting yeah. access to better opportunities as it related to school system, right? Making sure both my sister and I were in private schools, even if it took us having, you know, to have the financial aid programs or what have you that allowed us to be there. I think it's those little things like that, that ultimately led to each of the next like milestones of success, so to speak. And so the first thing was like getting into the high school that I was going to be able to focus on my academics, but also focus off the field as well and keep my head on a straight narrow to then get to that next milestone, which is getting a scholarship to college, right? 
And when that time came, I was going around to all of the big Power Five type programs, Division One programs. And that's always the goal is to play for like a Big Ten team, a Big 12 team or what have you. And it just so happened that when it came time for me to go to college, the initial schools that had the most interest in me were mid-major programs, right? So Mac schools. And so Northern Illinois was the first school that offered me. And one of my things was that I wanted to go into my senior year having already made my decision of where I was going to go to school because I didn't want to have that nerve-wracking backdrop in my senior year of school and senior season, right? So at the time, Northern Illinois, they actually happened to be, at one point, they made it to like, I think, number 11 in the nation. We're having an incredible year, the year that they were recruiting me and had offered me. And they had beaten Alabama, which before Alabama mm-hmm. became the, the dynasty of this era, but yeah. it was before those years, but they beat Alabama, they beat Maryland, they beat Iowa State. So they beat these big programs. I'm like, you know what? Maybe this school would really be an, an opportunity for me to get on the field early, play and, you know, exhibit my skill set, so to speak. Right. So I ended up making that decision within, you know, the bigger schools have an interest after the fact of my already committing. Right. So I said to myself, you know, after my senior year, I had a good year. When the big schools kind of came back, I was like, you know, it doesn't really sit well with me to decommit. Like, I didn't want to have that. I didn't want to have that stigma like playing in the back of my mind, you know? So I said, you know what? I made a decision. I'm sticking with it. And it just so turns out that it ended up being the right decision for me because I got on the field early. I had so much tape by the time professional teams began looking at me because I'd been playing. I got four solid seasons of as a starter, like on field tape and reps. And yeah. due to so you that, started, so you started your, your freshman year. Well, I didn't start my true freshman year. What ended up happening was I was on the, I was set up to be a true freshman and I was playing. I, I literally played in our first game, which we played against Maryland that year. That would have been the 04 season. And I ended up, I was a backup. I was backing up the starter and I go into the game. I think it must've been like the third quarters toward the end of the game. I had, you know, gotten, Decent amount of reps throughout the game it was have it was fast. I can tell you that it was the first time you know being a, on a Division One field. It was a little much faster than the high school. But what ended up happening is third or fourth quarter, whatever it was, I ended up getting a high ankle sprain. That high ankle sprain was going to sit me down for like six to seven weeks. So what they were able to do was give me a medical red shirt because it was only the first game, and I think there was like a cutoff with the amount of plays that you played, and you were able to. I was able to still then get red shirted that year to then have four full years after the fact. And those four full years, I was the starter the whole time. So what that ended up leading into was the fact that as a senior, I led the nation in sacks for like active players at that point because I'd gotten so much tape. There's, you know, so many of the bigger schools, guys don't get on the field as a starter until maybe their sophomore or junior year, right? And I had been I four years as a starter. So I think it was all of that. It kind of led into me having the opportunity to really become like a high draft pick. I would have never thought that you're talking about somebody who didn't really coming out of high school, have the big time offers. Right. Mm-hmm. I had never, I didn't pay attention to what round I got drafted in. I just wanted to be an NFL player. But I remember midway through the NFL season when the agents were able to start contacting you, a few of them were telling me, look, the way this thing is going by the end of this, you, you could end up being a first round pick. And I was like, wow, are you serious? And it, sure enough, it ended up happening. Right. And so what I can tell you is just that chapter of my life really served as a testament to what's possible 
when you have a focused mindset and you have deep faith and belief in yourself and you're willing to make sacrifices, right? And, and be disciplined. That's what it showed me. And so I can tell you that now in, in my professional life, where I'm kind of like, I wouldn't say I'm a rookie, but let's say I'm a sophomore or junior. Now I've recommitted to that same level of faith and mindset. And that's what's really got me to the point where I'm at in the business world right now, so to speak. Yeah, that's an awesome story. And yeah. so how, how was that transition, right? Because I know you and I are part of like a little small yeah. group with former NFL guys, current NFL guys. And we always talk about like the transition, right? Everybody, that's something that is popular now with different shows like The Pivot, right. I Am Athlete. Right. Like how was that transition for you? Like, because for me it was, I got injured, had to find something. I last on the real estate, red, rich dad, poor dad. Like what was the transition like for you after you, you know, retired from the NFL? Yeah, great. That's a great question. I'm glad you asked that. What I can tell you is that I was always focused and I felt like I had kind of like native smarts and and acumen, so to speak. But Mm -hmm. I like as an example, I uh, when I initially went to school, you know, people were telling me I should go to the business schools. The the business school at my university is really good. You know, get a business degree. Right. Mm -hmm. And that was the initial plan. But then when I got on campus, I was like, I don't necessarily know if I want to do that. I didn't have like a true desire to do that. It was just that I heard that that was a good idea or a good something that I should pursue. So it was like, oh, yeah, I'll go into business school. But then I sat back and I thought about it. I was like, do I really want to? Do I want to do that? And I decided in the last minute not to do that because I didn't have like a deep yearning urge or desire to get a business degree at that time. So I went with liberal arts. Right. And. At that point in time, I was a young freshman that didn't know I was going to end up being a first round draft pick. I knew I wanted to go to the NFL and I was focused upon getting there, but there was no guarantee by any means, right? In my mind, maybe I was delusional. Maybe I thought it it was a guarantee at that time. But anyway, I was saying all of that to kind of get to the fact that I didn't really know that I would have such an affinity to our business until mid way through my NFL career playing. So I played seven seasons and I would say three to four years in, I just kind of got this bug of, you know, what's going to be next in my life, right? What's going to be the second chapter of my life? Because in all honesty, at that point, my body was, I had some injuries. I I remember we, around 2011, there was a lockout. There was a lot of things going on in my NFL career at that moment. And, you know, locked out of playing for 11 months or 10 months, whatever it was, you start to kind of look at all these other things. And I was like, what's kind of going to be next for me in life? Right. Mm-hmm. And I started getting this bug about wanting to go on this quest to find like what was going to interest me. Right. And I think around that time, like the whole dynamic of the entrepreneurial technology unicorn that was really becoming real big because social media was just beginning to take off and all these things. So I was, I was asking myself, did I have desires of being an entrepreneur and starting a company or I was thinking about like what ideas could I bring to the marketplace that would be valuable, so to speak. Right. And I don't remember exactly who it was, but someone gave me the idea of commercial real estate and it being a worthwhile vehicle especially for someone in our shoes, you know, making money in our full-time career, our day-to-day, our core business, right? Our core career, which is that as a professional athlete, can provide a valuable vehicle for you to have involvement with investing the capital that you're earning, right? Mm -hmm. And so I remember it probably would have been around 2010, 11, 12. I was a looky-loo, 
for a lot of years at commercial real estate. And when someone told me commercial real estate, I took that to mean I always heard about people that would own like the triple net retail deals. So that was what I looked at as like grade A. And so I was kind of studying that for about a year, year and a half. I had a broker that was sending me deals and whatnot, but I didn't necessarily have the conviction at that age because the way that you're kind of conditioned as athletes is that we need to let our advisors control those types of matters, right? Right. Stick stick to football. Exactly. That's the way they can kind of condition you, right? And so it takes some time to, you know, unhinge that programming because it's been nailed into our heads, right? And for some reasons, like rightfully so, I'm not saying that you should just hop in to business and start cutting big checks, not knowing what you're doing. You definitely need specialized knowledge. You need to understand the nuances and the mechanics of business and how it works and the philosophy of business and what's valuable. And you got to create some type of level of discernment and attuning for it, right? But mm-hmm. what I ended up finding out is that that only happens by jumping in the pool. Unless maybe you right. go to school and like you have, you know, you, you go into business school and you kind of like learn through case studies and all that stuff. That just wasn't my route, right? My route was looking at opportunities and then finally having enough conviction to make an investment, right? And that year to year and a half of looking at those commercial deals, I ended up not doing at the time. And instead, I did something that was a little bit more intuitive, which was a residential deal where I was just going to purchase it and rehab it and then sell it. And so I did that. I started doing that while I was still playing. I ended up having early success with that. Right. I ended up having success with that with, you know, a couple meaningful deals. And I remember towards the past, the final like two to three years of my playing career, I had almost gotten it to the point where doing some of those flips, I guess you would consider them. I was earning as much as I was earning on the field at that point because my contract was like front loaded. So the first couple of years were like my big earning years and my contract and the final years it was more, a little more modest. So I was earning as much money in the real estate stuff activities that I was involved in at the time. And so that really gave me enough belief that, okay, maybe this is going to be what the second chapter of my life is going to look like. And so to that point, I want to go ahead. I want to do something bigger. Right. And so what I ended up doing was I ended up, you know, finding a much larger transaction that I needed to bring in partners and all of those things to be able to effectuate a a deal of that scale. And what actually occurred was I got alongside people that frankly looked apart, older, been in the industry a lot of years, you know, 40 years of experience. So my eye, like I was referring to that level of discernment, my eye at that time for the real estate investment world, it, it definitely had not gotten institutionalized by any means, right? It was more so I find an opportunity that maybe I feel is undervalued and you invest capital to then add value to the asset and exit at a multiple, right? I didn't have that underpinning of acquiring, you know, assets and building out a portfolio that's a long-term portfolio that produces cash. It was more like a development type mindset. And I said, mm-hmm. let me get alongside these developers that looked apart and that have been in the business a lot of years. And what I didn't understand, presumably at that time, was, you know, I think historically by nature, developers can kind of have a mentality of kind of a gambler, so to speak. And there's a lot of really big developers that do big, incredible deals. And then 
you know, make money, but then they end up giving the assets back five years later, 10 years later, they can't hang on to them. I think there's a lot of developers that are notorious for that, right? Mm-hmm. And so what ended up happening was I unknowingly had gotten into bed on some of my early development deals with people that were a little bit more of a gamble mentality than I yeah, had. They were um, a little bit more aggressive. Yeah. And so they ended up making decisions that I wouldn't have necessarily made. But in some of these partnerships, the way that they're structured, you have, you know, voting rights and control provisions and all of these things. And I remember some of those early development deals that I did, I see the control to the guys that looked apart, right? And they yeah. ended up they ended up driving us into a ditch on, on some things. And what that ended up doing was it forced me to take a step back, reassess my outlook and my position and what it was that I really wanted to do. And it brought me to the point where I said, you know, look, I enjoy this industry. I'm going through a time right now that stings a little bit and that that's challenging. But it was that challenge that turned me into the business person that I now am. Right. And it's an evolving and a ever growing process on a day to day basis. But it was those challenges that stung early on that Mm -hmm. showed me, okay, it's not all peachy keen and roses. You have to really approach this thing with a long-term mindset. And there's no, like at that time, unknowingly, I had this mindset around, you know, this deal is going to be the big one, you know, and I can figure out what I want to do after this, but this is going to be the big one. Almost kind of like that, not one hit wonder, but that mentality of around just one deal, you know, just being an experience. Yeah. I thought that at that time, right? But now I, I see that it's like, it's about building a, a legacy. It's building a firm that will stand the test of time and that will last for the long term and that you'll be able to add value to people, you know, the people and the team members that you bring in, you know, it's, it's about leading them and providing value and service to those folks as well, because they can accelerate their careers through what you're the infrastructure that you're setting up. So that's kind of the mindset that I have now. And what I could say is that it was those early challenges that forced me to look at things in that manner and become much more sophisticated, went back and got certified, you know, institutional caliber real estate investment and financial modeling and all these things. But again, like I was saying, it was that those early, you know, challenges that brought me to becoming that type of the the type of investor that I am now. Yeah. No, no, I I mean, I'm excited to talk. I want to put a pin in this real quick because let's talk about, well, well, first I want to reverse before you touched on like the deal that or the deals that turned you into the investor that you are today. Yeah. Let's go back to when you started, when you made that. I don't want to say that it was, it might've been, and maybe I'd love to get your thought on that. Was it a limiting belief when you wanted to start off in commercial and you said, Hey, I'm going to start flipping houses. Was that like a limiting belief that you thought? I thought I, well, I thought it was more of like kind of a base hit approach where I thought the entry price was a little bit more digestible instead of just jumping right into the fire with my first deal being a seven figure equity requirement. And so I would have had to kind of like fight a lot of my advisors at the time on doing Mm -hmm. something like that. And so I did something that was a little bit more digestible. I thought it was a way that I could kind of like sneak in the side door. If you're interested in passively investing in high quality real estate opportunities, then join our investor group at Merlin, M-E-R-L-Y-N-N acquisitions.com slash invest 
for direct access to carefully vetted real estate opportunities or head over to the show notes and click the link to join. Now let's get back to the show. So for our listeners today, would you say, hey, get started in residential, work your way up into commercial and kind of have that step by step kind of process or mentality? Or did you feel that your team, because you were surrounded by a good team, you were able to jump into larger transactions and have that confidence? You know, what if you were to turn the tables and start back over again, would you have yeah, like gone into commercial I, first? Right. This is what I would do. So look, if I could, with hindsight being 2020, there's two. And I think that these two ways of getting into the industry, I think they just depend upon risk tolerance and kind of mental makeup, right? And so two really sensible ways that I think scale very, very well is to one, approach real estate as an institutional business from day one and go to school for it like many folks do or go to school for business and then get like some type of specialization in real estate investment or development or what have you, and then go get a job for a real estate investment firm and learn on someone else's dime. There's a lot to be Mm -hmm. said for doing that, right? And so I in no way discourage folks from taking that approach. That wasn't my path, but I think that that can actually be a wise approach because you learn from day one and you're exposed from day one to the highest levels of business and from under someone else's umbrella, you get to see how uber successful folks in the industry conduct themselves. And I think, you know, Yannick, you and I have chatted about this in, in the past. Like you went and worked within a private equity firm, a real estate private equity firm, if I'm not mistaken at yeah. one point. So I think that like, that's like a really wise way to get into the industry. I just didn't have that vantage point at the time. Right. So there's that option, right? which I think is actually really advisable. And then the second option, I would say that I've seen, you know, colleagues and friends have a lot of success with is Mm -hmm. starting smaller, more entrepreneurial, if you will, but buying and having the mindset of building a portfolio that produces cash. I can tell you, like, as an example, a buddy of mine, that's a really close friend. He's my age as well. Did not have a background in like professional sports or anything like that. He was actually in sales yeah. in, in his early years. He went to school initially with a, when he was pre-med and what have you, then he said to himself, like, I don't know if I want to do, do this and like be in school for 10 years before I really get into my vocation and what have you. So he went and like changed his major to more of a kind of broader focus, so to speak, ended up graduating from school. But alongside that, he got a job in a call center. So he ended up becoming a sales guy. And yeah. it ended up being something that was he was really good at. And he got to the point where he was like kind of like the top guy in the call center, so to speak. Yeah. So he had the latitude to kind of like go to his superiors and say, look, I'm doing this. And, you know, I'm kind of a rainmaker, so to speak, in the office and I want to raise and what have you. And he did that at one point and he probably was in his early 20s at the time. And uh, his superiors didn't want to give him the status or the promotion that he thought he was worth, so to speak. So he said, you know what, I'm going to start looking at other options to for my own evolution as a business person. So he said, you know, I, I think what I'll do is at the time was based in Orlando, Florida. He said, you know, what, I'm going to buy. I think I can do this. I'm going to buy a fourplex. And from what I can see, if I buy one of these fourplexes and rehab it, I can get the rents to X 
And to the extent I get those rents to X, if I have whatever this loan product that he might have had at the time, I don't know if it's FHA or one of the loans that's kind of really low cost to kind of get into. I get in with, you know, some favorable financing, you know, my rent in the unit that I live in will be all but paid for. And I'll have probably some excess cash flow on top from the other few units. So he did that. And it was probably only a couple of years before he bought another one. And so he had two fourplexes. And then maybe a year later, he said, let me buy an eightplex. This is really turning out to be really good. So fast forward to around, you know, 2013, 2014, you know, the market is kind of, you know, really uncertain territory. And he said, you know, I'm going to buy some deals that are a little bit bigger, buys a 20 or 25 unit deal or what have you, buys a couple of those. And the years from 2014 to 2016, those assets that he accumulated got him to the point where he had a few million bucks come 2016 or 2017 that he, or he sold the remainder of his portfolio off because he didn't at the time know if it would if the market could go any higher, right? If you remember yeah. back at that time, a lot of people were uncertain. It's like, it's been a crazy bull run. You know, the music's got to stop at some point. So around 2016 or 17, like there was a lot of people that were selling, like we don't know what's going to happen in the market, right? Mm-hmm. But he did that and he had, you know, a couple million bucks to play with. And he had a friend that was a private equity executive. And that friend said, look, you've really got a knack for this. You built this portfolio in kind of like a mom and pop manner. You did well with it. Why don't you go and get into the the big stage. Why don't you go find a $40 million deal and do some big stuff? You need to get past that mental block. You need to do larger stuff. So he goes and he finds a $40 million deal, goes back to our buddy and says, hey, all right, look, I, I got a hold of a $40 million deal now, but <laughs> right? Yeah. He at that time, this is probably 2017, didn't even know what a promote or carried interest yeah. was because he was mm-hmm. he had just owned his own properties, you know, yeah, outright. 100%. Well, long story short, fast forward to now, he has a firm that controls one and a half billion dollars worth of real estate. And he's got 15 or 20 employees, really top level, you know, acquisitions folks that have been in the industry a lot of years. And he's probably one of the faster growing real estate investment, you know, multifamily operators out there. Right. So his path into the space, it came from that kind of like mom and pop mindset of like, I'm going to buy the fourplex and then see what happens. Type yeah. So I think it's like from like an entry level standpoint, there's nothing wrong with either one of those approaches. Yeah. yeah. I think, um, no, that's, that's where it's was a, a great story. I think that it just, it's just a testament to like why real estate is such a marathon too. Right. Because yeah. it's something that is get rich for sure over time. Bingo. Right. Bingo. And I think it's not I mean, to get rich quick. It's get rich for yeah. sure. You and know, one, well one of the things sure. that, one of the things that I wanted to touch on that you said was from your first deal, oh, sorry, your your first few deals was you wanted to, it seemed like you wanted to hit big, right? Was, was, is that, yeah. was that like the mentality? Yeah, I did. I did because it was that player's mindset. And that's what I wanted to touch on. It was that ball player's mindset. It was that ball player's mindset because you got to like, look at how do we think? He's like, oh, it's my contract year. I got to hit him this year. Yeah. That's your one opportunity to get paid, to get the yeah. big contract, right? And so I think that I erroneously bought that frame of mind into the business world. Into the world of business where it's not like that in real life. And that's, I wanted to touch on that too, because I'm hoping that there are some NFL players that are listening to today's show that need to understand like the money that you made in the NFL, that is not regular money. 
getting paid a hundred thousand dollars per week or a million couple million like per week that is not regular money and i think a lot of nfl players have been conditioned to think like oh every time i get a deposit in my bank i gotta exactly right and i think that also this is a long haul and and you make that money in those big you know chunks as an athlete but you only play for 10 years if you're lucky where if you're lucky business world yeah if you're lucky there's very few people that get to play 10 years in the nfl right but in the business world many guys are just starting to hit their stride in their 50s and what we don't realize as athletes is as an athlete we're used to having this mindset of having an expiration date in our 30s what we have to realize is that those years after our 30s can be very very fruitful and beautiful yeah. years we don't realize how young we are it's because we play yeah. in a sport where you become the oldest guy in the room and you're like a senior, a senior citizen, and you're only 31 or 32. That's mm-hmm. not how the real world is actually set up, but it's almost like you don't find that out until you get out of that little, small microcosm, yeah. right? Yeah. It's a bubble. It really is. It's a small bubble. That's not, we need to get out of that mindset. <laughs> yeah. And it comes down to just education too, right? And you got educated. You took the initiative to at the courses and i think that honestly i did has do a, that i did do that yeah yeah and and i think it honestly has a direct correlation of, as to like why a lot of guys end up in investments that lose a lot of money too right it's because they get the shiny object syndrome Correct. of being attracted to like lucrative investments when they really don't understand the due diligence process they don't understand how to evaluate risk which right. I think is something that you were able to develop through your struggles and, you know, the deals that you've invested in real estate, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. That's brought me to the point now where I definitely approach things with a much more keen eye. And again, like I said, it's it's one of the, I was telling a friend, there's a friend that's currently going through a little, little bit of a, a seemingly tough situation. And I was telling her uh, this morning that when these tough, like challenging situations occur in our life. But when you're in the thick of it, it's hard to realize that it can actually lead to something much better and much more Mm -hmm. beneficial for our evolution and growth. And it's like, who was it that said, it's like, these things don't happen to us that we have to realize they happen for us. It's challenging times don't happen to us. They happen for us. Yeah. Because it takes us to the, that next level, which is required. I remember right around the time that I was, you know, my NFL career was kind of coming to a close. I got really into reading, which before I wasn't like a big time reader, but I read a couple of books early on that just changed my whole mindset into like now see myself as a lifelong learner where I've got to be learning and study, studying something every day. It's like, it kind of fuels me. Right. And I remember those early years I had started to follow and pay attention to a guy, Ray Dalio, who ended up being like, He's the founder of Bridgewater Associates, with, which is the biggest hedge fund on the planet. And he's worth 20 or more billion dollars, right? And he always, he's probably one of the most well-decorated hedge fund manager, managers of all time. And he says it all the time. He talked about it in his book, how it was a super, super painful challenge early on in his, in his career when he had like this naive, pompous, overconfidence about some investments that he was making on behalf of some of his investors. And I think it was in the early 80s or late 70s. And it was a painful, painful experience. And even more so, 
he was being filmed at the time around, he was like doing interviews around some of the investments that he was making and the choices that the ways with which he was deploying capital as early years of his firm that were just completely wrong. And he looks, talks about how he looks back on that. He's like, wow, it's like so uninformed. But it was that that turned him into then becoming, you know, he's on the caliber of like a Buffett or someone like that now. Right. Yeah. It was that early challenge that forced him to evolve into something much, much more meaningful and got him to a place where he provides a much higher level of service. So that's yeah. all key. Right. Yeah. 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 It's, it's about your battle scars and just learning from them. You know, things are going to happen in this business. I've never had a deal that went 100 percent as planned, but mm-hmm. just being able to like embrace your battle scars and and learn from them. Right. And not making the same mistake twice. I think that's the people who are able to fail quicker and also understand the yeah. the growth, also understand the positives out of those challenges, are, I think, are the ones who are able to like get exponential growth because one, they've failed much faster than the average person. And then two, they're learning constantly, like learning from their mistakes, which, you know, eventually makes them a way better investor. I would agree with that position because I mean, look, frankly, had I, like I told you, the early success I had was fine. I was doing things on my own. You know, part of it was probably timing the market where I was at, like in the cycle. So I kind of like had some, you know, I fell into some early success but then that next step that I took into doing the much bigger stuff, right? Had that been a success right off the bat, how I'd went into it, I don't know that I would have become what I yeah. what I ultimately became as I stand here now, right? I don't know right. if my mindset would have gotten to the place where it's at now. So like I said, I look, I'm grateful for it. And now I'm at this place where I really, really realize that those challenges, they happen for us, not to us. It's kind of the same thing with me, you know, what seemed to be maybe somewhat of a, a dynamic around like settling for a quote mid-major program instead of a big power five program or a big 10 team or, or, or something like that. It was making yeah. that decision and remaining true to my word that ultimately led into me being first round draft pick, right? Who would have thought? I was the first first round draft pick to ever come out of my university. And now Mm -hmm. there's been a couple more since that, but I was the first one. And not many people would have thought that coming from that school, that that could be possible. But yeah, I think like like you said, feeling quicker and having those early challenges, they turn you and they, they, if you approach them the right way, it has the opportunity to turn you into something much stronger and better. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing, man. So let's talk about your deals. You know, let's yeah. give the listeners a little bit of context of like your portfolio size, what you're working on today and how you're kind of putting these deals together. You know, whether yeah. you're using your own money or raising capital or how yeah. are you um, doing deals in today's environment? Correct. So look, I what I can tell you is, as I had alluded to before, it's taking the big leap and having, you know, setbacks and challenges with some of the early stuff that brought me to where I'm at now. And part of me being where I'm at now, so to speak, was the bigger stuff. The one thing that it did do when I got into that, and that would have been around 2015 when I got into like those larger transactions, is it exposed me to a much larger... I guess you kind of refer to it as I got access to the real estate industry at a much larger level, like more of like an institutional level, Mm -hmm. so to to speak. And I got around the fact that I had 
conviction and made the leap, I was able to reach out and surround myself with really sophisticated folks in the industry due to the fact that I had kind of dove in. And I wasn't doing business with these people at the time, right? But I think the fact that I showed the initiative of kind of maybe turning this whole premise of the dumb jock athlete, I kind of like turned that on its head by like diving into business. It gave me a little bit of a access pass into the real estate industry at a much more sophisticated and institutional level. And I can tell you that part of that was me just having the mentality of like calling people, picking up the phone and reaching out. Like as yeah. an example, I read, I heard someone told me about, I read a book about Don Peebles, which is, you know, arguably the, the largest black real estate developer in the country, you know, he's done billions of dollars worth of projects throughout his tenure. Uh, someone told me about him. So I read his book and then I read his book and I was intrigued by his story. And so I found his office address online and sent him a letter, left my email. He ended up told him what I was doing and he ended up reaching back out. So then built a rapport with him and some other folks that were really big in, in the industry just from simply taking the initiative and reaching out to folks. And so then what ended up happening is you get around people like that and you tend to start to think bigger. Yeah. Right. And so I started thinking way bigger because I read about what these guys were doing. And from my reading about what these guys were doing and then getting access to them from simply just reaching out to them or having someone introduce me or things like, things of that nature, my vantage point grew with how I could position myself in the industry. And I ended up really organically throughout that time building a network in the real estate industry from coast to coast that's pretty significant, I would say. Yeah. And some of those folks ended up becoming mentors, advisors. Some of them became close friends. And I would say, you know, two or three years ago when I had these yearnings around kind of launching my own firm, because I had some early partnerships that ended up kind of moved beyond those, right? So I, I had the, this idea of, of really like reassessing and launching my own firm. And when mm -hmm. I did that, it ended up because of the relationships that I had built, I had really sophisticated programmatic partners that I was able to go into business with. Yeah. So that was what was the huge benefit for me to be able to launch the organization that I did to where now, you know, I've got about eight internal team members and we've got two business strategies, a land development strategy and a value add strategy. And both of those platforms, um, we have programmatic relationships or partnerships with some of the top firms in the industry, right? Each one of those strategies has its own corporate partner, so to speak. So yeah. on the land, land development side, we're part of a venture that is backed by a very, very large public home builder. And so with that strategy, we buy land throughout the state of California that's raw land and get it entitled for subdivisions, master plan communities, and that type of for sale housing development. And then, then our yeah. value add strategy, we're partnered with a very sophisticated multifamily operator developer. And so it's because of those partnerships that we're at the point now where we're currently our current transaction pipeline for multifamily units is about 1200 units with the current deals that we're in contract to purchase right now. And then on the land development side, we have a pretty solid pipeline as, uh, as well for land deals because what's ended up happening is now 
it was for so many years such a seller's market. But now that there's been this kind of dislocation in the for sale housing space, we're able to kind of get into some very favorable um, situations as it relates to structure for doing long-term land development plays, long, long-term entitlement plays. So look, mm-hmm. those deals take three years a lot of times, but you have a big payday at that three-year mark when, and with, with moderately low risk because you have an extended escrow structure where you more or less have an option type contract and you yeah. go and you, your dollars go into the entitlements that you're, yeah. that you're basically applying for, which can be expensive and, and that can go into yeah. the millions, but can have a, a million dollars worth of paper really quick. <laughs> well, correct, correct. <laughs> but that's why I really now at this point I align myself alongside folks that have shown an incredible track record and that have the faith and have that have been backed by institutional partners, right? That have that level of compliance for them to even get in the door, right? And so we've really been fortunate enough now to build our organization under that format where we have, mm-hmm. you know, two really sophisticated corporate partners and collectively our venture on the multifamily side controls about 5,000 units or so roughly. Yeah. And the development side is backed by, like I said, a public home builder. So it's a significant amount of capital that we have to then deploy into land development deals. Yeah. That's really great how you were able to leverage you know, relationships and partnerships yeah. to scale and just be amongst the greats, right? I mean, yeah, because in the beginning, most folks were my advisors and mentors and things of that nature. And then as the relationship grew and I got to the point where I became more valuable and I bettered myself as, you know, from a maturity standpoint, as a business person and, and things of that nature, then I was fortunate enough to have those folks come to me. It's like, it's not like I went begging them for an opportunity. It's like those folks saw something. I guess I must have showed something within like from the level of grit over the years that they came to me with these opportunities. And it truly was like almost kind of like attracted like really great people around me. And so it's due to those great people that I'm able to have the firm that I have now and be building what I'm building. Yeah, no, it's this business is all about relationships. You know, you just, I always like to say you're all, you're always one person away, right? It's kind of right. similar to like the NFL space is like, you're only one team away. Right? right. I mean, it's, it's all about having healthy partnerships. And I'm sure that being in the situations that you were in when you first got into real estate with the development projects had a lot to do with that maturity of selecting and vetting partnerships Correct. as well too, because things, you move a little differently when it stings, right? You don't yeah. necessarily move a little loosey goosey and, hey, you know, I, I see this guy's over here doing this. Let me partner up with him. I'm sure it was definitely detailed and thoughtful about who you're partnering up with and also having that visionary to see the long term in the partnership as well, right? Which could yeah. also propel you on a different level because, as you mentioned, you, you got yourself up to be like more valuable within those conversations. So, you know, now we're talking a little bit differently. Yeah. And look, what happened was throughout that time, like I remember when I first got into the business, I thought it was all about the deal, the deal, the deal, and then like investing in the deal. But then what I found out is that the best investments that you can make are the investment into yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. So I invest in myself now, like executive coaching, mindset coaching, all of that stuff. Like I'll invest in myself as much as I invest into deals, so to speak. 
it's worth that to me because I think that the better we become as individuals, the more impactful we'll be able to be at home, at work, whatever it may be, right? So investing in yourself and then also the other thing that became big for me was investing in my own firm and like investing in building out infrastructure that, you know, investing in people that are going to add value and getting to the point of kind of creating the habit of entrusting the right types of individuals to do things on your behalf and not trying to do it all and go it all alone. Right. So early Mm -hmm. on, it's like I had that mindset of you were trying to do it all by yourself. Correct. Correct. (laughs) And you're just not as useful when you do things that way. So, yeah. yeah. And you don't have the dexterity to kind of be around and touching everything to get it to the point where you want to get it to. Right. Or do it your way. Right. It's almost like you, you have to delegate and, and know the importance of that too, or else you're kind of going to run yourself crazy. Right. For sure. So Larry, if our listeners want to follow you, invest with your company, you, you know, what's the best way for our listeners to do that? Yeah, I would say, you know, follow me on Instagram, Larry English underscore, reach out to me on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is great. It's the name Larry English. And if you look me up, you, you, you should be able to find me there fairly easily. And then you could go to our website. It's union, www.unionpropertycompany.com. That's the name of my firm. And I'm, I'm happy to, you know, get connected with anyone, frankly. And, and if there's questions or you'd like to kind of get acquainted, I'm happy to do that. That's perfect. So, Larry, thanks so much for being a guest on our show. We talked a lot about yeah. that transition from the NFL. I mean, you know, the mentality of just understanding investments and, and risk and, and how you're able to scale and be amongst different partnerships. So thank you for being our guest on our show. Thank you to the listeners today for joining in to another episode of the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. I'm so excited we had a chance to talk to Larry today and just want to let you know, remember, real estate is a marathon, not a sprint. Run your own race. Thanks again, Larry. Yeah, this was great. Take care, Yannick. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.